and welcome to a new episode of Startup Diaries. In today's episode, we have Lizzie Lord, who is a manager for PwC's RAISE program. I think this is going to be an episode where you'll probably need a pen and paper to keep note of what we go through because it's a real advice piece. Starting with what the RAISE program offers its portfolio businesses. Then we dive into what makes a good pitch deck, what a good financial model looks like, going out to investors and the different types of funding. We also go into a little bit about term sheets and negotiation and advice about raising in a downturn. So there's loads that's covered in this episode. We hope you enjoy it. Lizzie, welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. <laughs> no worries. Um, do you want to start off by telling us a bit about yourself and a story a bit about what PwC do with RAISE? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I graduated in 2015, um, went straight onto the PwC graduate programme in audit where I did my ACA. Um, I then moved into our financial due diligence team, which is more traditional M&A, so mergers and acquisitions, um, working with a lot of private equity clients, um, looking to either buy companies or sell companies in their portfolio. But I actually worked in the mid-market, so this isn't the multi-multi-million pound deals that you'll read in the press, um, but what did mean I had the opportunity to work with some more founder-led businesses looking to exit. Um, also done a bit of time in industry, so seen it not just from an advisory point, from sort of an actual industry perspective. And um, so I was at Jim Group, which is an aimlistic company, um, working in their financial planning and analysis team. It's my um, gym. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. I do. I do actually like the, um, the Jim Group gyms. Um, yeah, doing like budgeting, KPI reporting, and all that good stuff. But actually, I wanted to go back and work with more of that founder-led business, more of the earlier stage. Um, areas moved back to PwC and shortly joined the RAISE team um, and then quick intro to what the RAISE team does um, it's basically a team that help um, startups raise money so we come in at that first institutional round so our sweet spot's probably series A series B mm-hmm. what that looks like in terms of numbers because people put different numbers onto these letters um, for us it's sort of anywhere between 1 and 30 million and that's where I've been for the last year and a half yeah, yeah about year and a half Perfect. Well, do you want to tell us a bit about why some, you know, why a business owner would look at joining the RAISE programme and get involved, I guess, in such things as the growth programmes that you run? Yeah, so I think where it comes into fundraising, it's sort of rebalancing that imbalance of knowledge between what the funds and the investors have and what the founders have. So funds see thousands of pitch decks, thousands of financial models, they negotiate term sheets on not daily basis, but this is their day job, yeah. and founders might not have raised a fund uh, like fundraise before um, and even if they have they only do it every 18 to 24 months yeah. and so it's just putting that balance correctly um, or in their favour so as advisors we also see thousands of pitch decks we know how to sort of negotiate a term sheet and get the best deal for a founder and then in terms of what PwC can bring is PwC is a huge multinational um, large corporate we have sector specialists in almost every sector that you can probably think yeah. of um, and also specialists in different lines of services, so strategy, tax, but M&A for those larger businesses. So when clients work with us, they can also tap into that wider network. So obviously, someone's joining the programme, you obviously you'll see multiple businesses across your portfolio. So we can dive into maybe some advice pieces because you obviously support this ecosystem. Um, do you want to give us maybe a bit about uh, the programme and, and growth teams specifically and what they do? And then yeah. we'll, we'll go into some sort of advice bits after that. Yeah, so um, we split our team into two within the RAISE team. We've got a team that um, focuses more on Series A. So this is run more as an accelerator event. So the offering's the same. Um, we sort of help companies in three ways. We, it's looking at the um, helping with investor docs. So this is your pitch deck, your financial model. It's 
doing like warm introductions to investors and then on the back end term sheet negotiation. Mm-hmm. The same offering between Series A team and the growth team that sort of focuses more on Series B+. Series A is running more of this accelerator event that ends in a pitch day. Series B plus is just one-to-one support throughout and you're going out to market as and when as and when they're ready. Perfect. Well, look, I really love to dive into it. It's something we touched upon in times throughout this podcast, but you'll see any sort of founders who are listening, they'll probably want to know what makes a good pitch deck. I'm sure you've yes. seen hundreds, thousands of them. So what, what are the kind of do's and don'ts? Yeah, so for me, a pitch deck, is the aim of a pitch deck for me is to get that first meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you said, investors see thousands and thousands of pitch decks. They spend such a little amount of time reviewing the pitch deck. Right. And Docsend actually has really cool stats of um, how long they spend on a pitch deck, how long they spend on each page of a pitch deck. Right. Um, and they say average this in all the seed stage, but two to five minutes on a pitch deck is all you're getting from an investor. Right. So yeah. it really needs to hook them in and it needs to be short, concise. Um, so on that, I'd expect it to be about 15 to 20 pages long, max. Um, you're not putting big paragraphs of text. This isn't a detailed business plan. It needs to be sort of be using graphs, using graphics. Mm-hmm. Um, also consider having like a pitch deck that you're using to present versus a pitch deck that you're sending cold. Okay. So you might have a pitch deck that you've cold email or you've had a call and you're following up sending the pitch deck and you're not vo- having a voiceover to that that can have a bit more text still not paragraphs but it yeah. can have more text if you're doing a presentation as soon as you have a load of text on the deck people are reading that and not listening to your voiceover so right, okay. consider having two different two different docs for depending on what you do um and then my last tip or hint is making sure you've got all the key slides um so there's a lot of really good pitch deck examples if you literally just type it into Google. The main thing that I see people missing is the investment ask. So you go through, oh, this is a really good product, this is the problem, this is the solution, this is great. I don't know how much you're asking me for, I don't know what they ask, it's almost almost a sell stock at that point rather than a pitch deck. Perfect. I didn't realise it was such a short period of time, two to five minutes. Yeah, it's so quick. After you put in all that effort of making yeah. a pitch deck, hours it's and hours really going. about getting that first meeting. <laughs> right. Okay, well, I guess that's changed, changed the mentality on it then for, for people listening. I guess one of the other things we dived into would be great with you being obviously a financial expert that you are. Um, mm-hmm. What makes a good financial model for, for these businesses as well when they're, I guess they're talking to potential investors? Yeah, so where I come in at that sort of first institutional Series A round, what I'd expect to see is a fully integrated balance sheet cash flow and PL. And so it means all of them reconcile, all of them talk to each other. A simple, quick sort of sense check for this is the cash that you're ending cash flow should be the cash in your balance sheet. Your EBITDA on your PL should be the starting point of the EBITDA on your cash flow. So everything should sort of talk and reconcile. Um, I'd expect to see two years actuals. Maybe you haven't got two years actuals if you're a real sort of early stage startup, but two years actuals or as many actuals as you've got, and then five year forecasts on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. And everything to be formula driven, not hard coded assumptions. So you might have a assumptions tab that then flows into all the other Excel tabs in, in the model. And this is really thinking, okay, if I add, so a couple of examples, if it's a B2B business, if I'm adding more salespeople, how does that affect my revenue? You hope that more salespeople are bringing more customers. Can you mm-hmm. do an assumption around that? If I'm a consumer business, how does the increase of my marketing spend increase my revenue? You'd expect them to be linked. So it's just actually making sure that that is reflected in the model. Everything's formula driven. So investors can sort of audit it and follow through the formulas really easily. But they also like to do their own sensitivities as well. And it means they can do these really easily if they can just mess around with formulas. 
perfect that meant nothing to me but yep i'm sure for those <laughs> listening it went all over my head um but yeah that um i guess one of the other things would be and this is probably why i'm quite interested myself as well is going out to the investors mm-hmm. um you know we've had a couple of different vc funds on here from from boost and co gc angels um love to sort of understand the different types of funding that there's well and how to go out to them yeah so i think different different ways that you can go out to them obviously if you use an advisor someone like raise you they have all those warm relationships already mm-hmm. and they know exactly the sweet spot that those investors are looking to invest in yeah. if you're going out found you're going out directly it's really important you do your homework to make sure that you're knocking on the right door right. so investors will have really specific theses some of them will be agnostic most of them will have sort of a specific sectors that they invest in revenue stage maybe EBITDA requirements if it's a tiny bit of sort of a later round um so you just need to make sure you're knocking on the right door, otherwise it's, you're wasting your time, you're wasting their time. Right. It's a really timely process to raise funding in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, different types of funds then, so VCs and VCTs and sort of the comparison between those. So the distinction is there, for me, in my opinion, the main two distinctions are the returns profile that they're seeking and where they're getting those funds to invest in startups. Okay. Mm-hmm. So venture capitals are those that you sort of hear about. Again, those unicorn hunters, they're looking for 10x returns. Every single company that they look at, they think, can this company by itself return the entirety of my fund? So they're really looking for those high, really fast, yep. massive scale-ups um, companies. The people that invest into those, or not the people, is more hedge funds, school endowments, and that's where they're getting their money from. Mm-hmm. Another big one in the UK is VCTs, that's okay. Venture Capital Trusts. Yeah. So their return profile is more sort of two to five X. Mm-hmm. So still super high growth startups, but yeah. not those unicorn hunters. And thinking about where they get their money from, it's normal people, sort of quotation marks. Yeah. So it's people that can invest normally a minimum of about £10,000 into their fund. And me as a person, I get then a load of tax benefits, um, both income tax, um, when I sell the shares, it's, yeah, loads of tax benefits. Um, Those two are actually quite well advertised. So in terms of finding out all those things that I said, the revenue sectors, they normally advertise it on their website. Who doesn't do that is a group um, that's called family offices. So these are like wealthy families that sort of have their own fund. You might have a multi-family office, which is sort of families that collate it and then put it into a fund. Um, The nature of that, because it's coming from individuals, it tends to be a bit more hush-hush. You might have a website, but literally might just be a landing page rather Mm. than sort of advertising what's in their portfolio and sectors and all that good stuff. Um, Family offices can be more agile, I'd say, more flexible. You think about the process of a VC or a VCT investing in a company, it needs multiple people's buy-in. They go through an investment committee, which might be sort of loads of senior people in the investment team. You might need a majority, you might need 100 people, 100% of those to say yes. Mm-hmm. With a family office, it might just be one person that's on the IC, that there's sort of the family that owns the fund. So it can be more agile, more flexible, right. more speedy. Um, and then the last two to touch on, um, corporate ventures. So Mm -hmm. this is where um, a fund is investing off the balance sheet of a corporate. Um, So names that you might know, but you might not know they're doing a corporate venture. Um, Salesforce have this, Um, Unilever have this, Channel 4 have this. Channel 4 is a tiny bit different where um, it's actually media for equity. So rather than getting money from Channel 4, you'll get media slots Mm -hmm. and in return they take equity in your business. And then finally is venture debt. So you said Boost & Co, so yeah. that's a venture debt fund and you also have like revenue-based financing. 
And this is where a startup is quite high risk. You might not get a, be eligible for a normal bank loan. The bank might think you're too risky, so you can turn to these sort of alternative finances. Um, it's non-dilutive. You're not given any equity away, but you do have to obviously repay the debt and normally sort of interest payments and stuff mm. um, as well. So that's probably more um, appropriate for later stage businesses that have stronger cash flows because you need to be repaying it back. You need to be paying the interest. Awesome. One of the things I'm thinking about actually is that obviously we met for the first time properly um, a couple of weeks back at yes. your, fund, your program, uh, the event that you ran for PwC Fund Her North uh, event. And actually, I learned in that meeting, I think uh, that actually VCs, te- I think within their portfolio, I think it's like 58% of the businesses typically in a portfolio have come from a warm introduction. So I'm guessing, this is me speaking hypothetically, going through like a raise and then having that recommendation into like a VC to all these funds that you just mentioned could make things a lot easier for you. This isn't me trying to sell you PwC, by the way. <laughs> but no, it's you're just doing me. a great job. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Is that is that correct? Is it like that that higher level that you know, nearly sixty percent of yeah? So I think to... it's the British Business Bank did. This is probably quite an old data now, but they said you're thirteen times more likely to get investment if it's through a warm introduction. Right. Oh, okay. So that is something that you can look to advisors if mm. you have angel investors thinking, okay, who's in your network, Mister Angel or Missus mm. Angel Investor? Um, and I think these days. And we will sort of touch upon sort of diversification of where this money is going. But I think VCs are now more open to cold outreach and yeah. meeting people at networking events. And it's sort of not being really an old boys club where you yeah. sort of you have to look outside of your network to get new deal flowing. Yeah. But yeah, that is definitely the lay of the land at the moment. Perfect. Well, look, one final little bit of, I'd love to dive into is term sheet negotiations. Obviously, you mentioned it earlier. You know, people aren't necessarily used to doing it. It might be the first time. Yeah. What a few bits of advice you can give to someone on that front. Yeah, I'd say, um, again, if you're not using an advisor that can sort of guide you commercially through the term sheets, and even if you are using an advisor, it's, this is still super, super important, it's to get a really good startup lawyer. Right, okay. um, so you might have different lawyers um, that do different things that will try and do startup minority fundraising. Really, my advice is to get a really good startup lawyer that knows these term sheets in and out and can really advise you. Mm-hmm. Um it's not all about valuation. I know everyone would love to get a term sheet with a really high valuation. It's probably quite nice for the ego. You've built this good business with a high valuation. Actually, once you look at all the different terms, and the term sheet we normally talk about, um, there's economic terms and there's control terms. Once you look at all those terms, having a high valuation might not be the best deal right, because okay. you might have all these other terms that actually mean on an exit, mm-hmm. the investors are still getting more money back and it's not it's not the best deal for the founder. Okay. And then... Um, it's just thinking, so the term sheet isn't actually the final legal doc right. that you'll sign. Um, but what we sort of recommend to our clients and the startups that we work with is to negotiate as many terms up front as possible. So you're not getting any nasty surprises down the line. So if you're reading a term sheet and thinking, oh, I've seen this in a term sheet before and this isn't in my term sheet, mm-hmm. don't think that it's not going to appear. It probably right. just means that it's appearing later down the line. Let's get everything negotiated up front so you've got no surprises. Perfect. So one of the things that we spoke about there is sort of valuations of businesses. We're obviously kind of working in a, a downturn at the moment. Is there any advice that you give to, to someone who's looking to fundraise in a downturn? Yeah. Um, so I think the first thing I'll say is hopefully it's not as doomy and gloomy as what you'll read in the market. And that's probably my personal opinion. Um, deals are still being done. Yes, valuations have come down a bit. We're definitely seeing deals taking longer, but funds have capital to deploy and invest in startups and it's definitely still happening. 
Um, what I would do probably differently to what I did um, 12 months ago is really planning ahead. So we are seeing more questions being asked, um, more um, scrutiny on the financials before businesses will get a term sheet. Mm -hmm. So we used to say a fundraiser can sort of take anywhere between six and nine months. I think you're really looking at nine months as a minimum at the moment. Um, yeah, financials, making sure the financials are really in order. I think it's now more important than ever to have a really good model in place. Right. And the mindset of investors have changed where this time last year, it's revenue growth at all cost. It's like, right, let's absolutely kick the ass out of marketing. Mm -hmm. Let's put all these costs in. Now it's okay. Actually, we need to be controlling our cash burn. We need to be more capital efficient. Mm -hmm. There's a real push on, okay, what is the path to profitability? Startups right. obviously still don't need to be profitable now to get yeah. all these venture capital funding, but when are you going to be profitable and mm -hmm. what does that sort of path to profitability look like? Yeah. Um, and not specific to a downturn, um, I do this all the time, but just don't put all your eggs in one basket. Okay. Um, so you might be having some really, really good chats to a particular fund and you think, well, I'm sure, so sure this fund's going to give me a term sheet. I'm going to focus all my attention on this. Yeah. And you sort of let other conversations die down. Things fall over. Think yeah. for X, Y, and Z reasons. So I think just having as many conversations mm -hmm. um, as you can and sort of progressing with multiple funds at the same time. Perfect. Cool. Obviously, I've referenced the, the fact that we met at the Fundher North side of things. Um, and one of the, obviously, it's about uh, women in, in in tech, or we're not women in tech, sorry, women in investment, women in supporting other female founders in particular. Um, I really want to dive into kind of a diversification of female founders. I, I appreciate my knowledge says there's a real lack of kind of all female founders, or there's a real lack, sorry, of funding going to all the yeah. female founders is a better way of saying that, sorry. So what are you seeing in the market when it comes to diversification of female founders? And actually, I'd love to know what PwC are doing to kind of help improve diversity of all female founded yeah. teams. Uh, yeah, so you've massively hit the nail on the head um the stats depending on what report you read is sort of anywhere between one to five percent it's going into yeah. female founders whatever report you read those stats are they suck that's <laughs> it's not enough so um the atomico um which is a venture capital they do a state of european tech report every year their latest report is actually out today so it'll be All interesting right. to see um what those numbers are but yeah they said in looking from a european basis only 1.1 percent in 2021 went into female founders um more in the uk focused um the treasury commissioned alison rose to do an independent review of female entrepreneurship so alison rose is the ceo of natwest right. so they've been doing annual updates since march 19 and they've sort of said yeah in the uk it's less than five percent have gone into female founders over the past three years i think that has increased from one percent to five percent so it's going the right way it's going in the right direction <laughs> yeah. but um that, yeah, there's a load a load more that can be done that needs to be done. Um, putting a slightly lighter tone on it, um, one of the things that I think has been really good that's come out of the Alison Rose review is the investing in women's code. Okay. Um, so basically this started off with 12 signatories. It now has 160 signatories um, of all the spectrum as sort of different finances. So bank, debt, angel investing, venture capital. And all those 160 represent... One trillion in assets under management. Right. So this is it's a big it's a big game, and that 160 um, signatories just keep going up and up. Mm. And if you're a signatory of this code, it means that you sort of agree to adopting and sharing best practices when it comes to female entrepreneurship and investing into female founders. But also, interestingly for me, is they provide annual funding data on a right. gender basis. Mm -hmm. So actually, I think it's probably the first time over the last couple of years that we've had 
this amount of data that actually looks into female founders and what's going on. I think transparency is probably the first step in changing the landscape of what it is. Mm-hmm. And I suppose on top of female founders, it's worth saying that sort of ethnic minorities, yeah. they're not getting enough funding. So Atomico, 1.3% um, of funding, um, again, sort of a European angle, and went into ethnic minority founders. Right. And interestingly, you can't really find too many stats around how much funding goes into um, people from lower social economic backgrounds, which I'm sure plays a really yeah. significant factor when people are starting up yeah. their own businesses. Yeah. Um, so yeah, lots to be done, but I think things are moving in, in the right direction. And yeah, really happy that PwC are trying to play their part in that as well. So yeah. um, obviously we're not a fund, women need money. That yeah. isn't something that PwC, PwC can provide, unfortunately. But what we can do is leveraging our networks, putting on events, um, making the right introductions um, and helping female founders out from that perspective. So over the past year, we've done three virtual office hours. So this is where um, a female founder can be paired with someone in the race team no set agenda they can just ask absolutely any questions that they want around fundraising Mm. um then we've also moved into in-person events so we did our first in-person event in london in april and then manchester which is the one that um you came to and joined us sneak an invite to yeah that's great (laughs) and so that was literally uh yeah november um what we're trying to do a tiny bit differently to networking events that i've been to i love going to networking events i love listening to the panels and sort of going to the drinks and chatting to people afterwards but we saw a tiny bit of a gap of okay actually how can we make this educational as well as networking and relationships Mm -hmm. so um our events go through round table discussions really similar to the things that we've spoken about today really Mm -hmm. and so the topics that we go through are um key investor docs what makes a good pitch check what makes a good financial model different types of investors and then term sheet negotiation which is looking at what do all these terms actually mean and mm-hmm. what we see as being market? So all the female founders actually get a content booklet to go away with um, and roundtable discussions and no more than sort of eight to ten people so everyone can ask yeah. those questions they wouldn't want to put their hand up and ask in front of a room of a hundred people. Yeah. So yeah, being really well received and we really love putting them on. Yeah, look, I'm, like I said, I snuck an invite. I'm very grateful for you mm-hmm. for you letting me kind of felt like a bit of a sheep and wolf's cl- uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing at times, <laughs> but it was it was great to see the discussion around the tables I was on and I thought that I'll be honest, I pinched the booklet that you handed out. Yeah, like good. that sat on my desk mm-hmm. because it makes me I think it's gonna make me sound a lot more educated in this mm-hmm. field because it, it was great. Like and genuinely it created because it were smaller groups and you were in, like integrated alongside PW we see raise members and other VC funds, yeah. the conversation around the table was just a lot more of a flow than you do see in a kind of more of a Q&A sort of full of like 50 people in a room, a couple of speakers. Yeah. Um, I think people felt a lot easier to have those little, like, is this a dumb question? There was no dumb questions. Yeah. And it was just a lot more, everyone, especially like you say, the raised team members and the VCs were so welcoming and encouraging of that. And it was great. And even my colleague, Charlotte, who I also snuck a invite for she might she probably asked the most questions to be honest oh, with you yes. so she was uh yeah chipping away it was great um obviously having you on here you work across a range or scale up startups you see a lot of the ecosystem in the market we always like to finish with two key questions the first one would be what are the biggest challenges that you're seeing for startups to go through um mm-hmm. out there right now so i think again coming in at the series a perspective at series a you probably already have that product market fit you're already generating mm-hmm. revenue um and I know I'm banging on about funding because that's what my background is. But honestly, I think one of the biggest challenges that um, startups do face is funding. Yeah. It takes a lot of time and it is normally led by founder, CEO, that really they should be investing their time in running the business and not doing a fundraise. Mm-hmm. Um, so plug for advisors <laughs> again, um, but it's sort of 
taking some of that off their plate so they can actually focus on running the business. Um, you don't want to be fundraising all, all your time. Yeah. Um, talent is a big one. I think talent, not just startups, sort of even big corporations are sort of struggling, seem to be struggling with talent this year, but I think it's more um, prevalent in startups where you want to attract top talent, but you mm-hmm. can't be paying these six-figure salaries. So it's thinking, okay, actually, how can I incentivize yeah. um, people to come? That's where sort of option plans and stuff like that come into play. Mm-hmm. Um, and culture. So I think startups actually lead the way in building a really good culture and people wanting to work at startups because of the culture that they have there. How do you maintain that culture when your startup starts to grow and it becomes more professional and you probably sort of hire in people from more professional, larger corporations? Mm-hmm. How do you keep that culture and sort of keep people wanting to work there? Yeah, perfect. And then the final bit is what one bit of advice would you give someone who's looking to start their own business at yes. the moment? Awesome. Um, I think it comes back to networks. So we've sort of spoken about if you have people in your network and you can get that warm introduction, that mm-hmm. that is a real big game changer yeah. in the VC ecosystem. Um, so thinking about how can you grow your network, going to events is I think it's a really good one. In London, I could literally go to a VC or startup event every single night of the week. And I know Manchester's the same. So yeah. it's great that we're in this sort of post-COVID world where people can actually go out yeah. and meet people. Mm-hmm. Um, linking back to the female founder point though, if you're a mum, you might not be able to go to all these events in the evening. So it's sort of thinking, okay, how else can I actually build my network? This can be reaching out to people. Coming from a private equity background, I genuinely think um, the VC community are really approachable, really want to help each other and build those relationships. It's such a relationships-led mm-hmm. ecosystem. So reach out to VCs, angel investors, accelerators, advisors, other founders that have been through the same thing as you or might work in the same sector. You'll be surprised how many people actually just want to help people. Yeah. Um, and then there are different co-working spaces and offices that are specifically for startups. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, that's a great way to just meet other startups, bounce ideas off each other and yeah, join a community. Perfect. Well, Lizzie, you're an actual. Thanks for joining us. Oh, no worries. Enjoyed it. Thank you.